have to do something real fast. We're going to have a couple of guests today. I always wonder, and I love the idea as we go about our ordinary, mundane existence, what it looks like if you were part of the heavenly host and you were looking down. And I think about that moment that we had a couple of minutes ago in which if you were a fly on the wall, it just looks like people get up in the middle of a song and go put slips of paper into some baskets that, quite frankly, almost none of them match. And, but what that would look like if you were part of that heavenly host. And so today we have two guests. You can't see them, but they travel through time and space. But we meet them in the pages of Scripture. Both are women. And this guest here has served God her whole life. Yet she has almost nothing. And what she does have left is threatened. She's a widow. She's broke. Her family is under extreme threat. And she's in debt. And over here is woman number two. She is our second guest. She has plenty. I mean, not everything in her life has been perfect. Uh, just recently, she had a severe tragedy. But within a few days, everything was straightened out and restored to normal. We don't know how much wealth that she has. Some people think she's pretty wealthy. But we know that she does have one thing. She has one thing of immense value. But what if I told you if both of our guests here, as different as they are, are marked by the same word? Today, if we listen to their stories, they shout a word into our lives. And that word is desperation. One definition of desperation is needing or wanting something very much. The Cambridge Dictionary includes the feeling that you have when you are in such a bad situation that you are willing to take risk in order to change it. You're willing to do something rash. You're willing to put yourself out there. This morning, I want us to dig into the hearts of both of our guests. I want us to see the risks that they took. Finally, I want us to feel what they feel. Ultimately, I want to be as desperate for God as they are. Our first story starts 150 years after the peak of Israel's wealth, power, and prestige. Under the times of King David and of his son Solomon, the empire flourished. They had plenty of money. They had prestige. Everything seemed to be amazing. But after the time of Solomon... The nation splits, and the kingdom in the north gets really spiritually dark really quick. You probably have heard about two of their worst rulers, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. You probably know the stories about how evil and idolatrous they were, and how Elijah the prophet stands up to them. And you probably know the story when he challenges the prophets of Baal. And at one point in that encounter, Elijah cries out that there's all of these Baals and yet I'm the only one faithful to God who's left. And God says, I have 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. We don't know for certain, but the years and the geography line up that our first guest here was a spouse of one of the good guys. 
That he was one of the 7,000 men who taught the ways of God in a time and place of darkness. And so we come at last to 2 Kings chapter 4. But let me tell you a little bit more about our first guest. She has two kids. Her husband is not around. He had served the Lord and loved the Lord a great deal. He had labored for the Lord. But when we find her, he is already dead. The mother has two sons. And she absolutely treasures and adores her sons. But today is a dark day. The cupboard is bare. Come to think of it, not only is the cupboard bare, but pretty much the entire house is bare. Minus a stack of bills and very little else. But now even her sons are threatened. And some of her creditors have put her on notice that she can either pay her bills or, she will come, or they will come and seize her sons and sell them as slaves to pay off the debts. Stories like this grab us. Instantly, we're sympathetic to this mother. We feel in our gut for her. And what about the stakes? All good stories have to have something at stake. These stakes couldn't be any higher. The story seeds with drama. What would you do to save your family? And at the heart of all of this is a desperate question from a desperate mother. She's asking, in my darkest time, can I trust this God? We'll find out in 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Right off, we know that she is desperate. She is crying out to this man of God. And let's examine her words. Your servant, my husband, is dead. She sits this at Elijah's doorstep. Your servant. Then she follows this up with a, and you know that he revered the Lord. She's not saying it, but she's implying something here. We can safely say that in some way she's putting her problems on Elisha. But let's tell the truth. What is Elisha? He's a prophet. And what does a prophet do? He represents God before the people. So really, this widow, this grieving mother is putting this on God. And then she says, But now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. And from a worldly point of view, we're like, of course the creditors are going to come and make threats. Oh, anybody money for long enough, and they will do everything that they can do to get you to pay up. However, it's like she has this other story that she's telling herself. Perhaps she still believes in this God that has her back. Because she knows the God of Psalm 68, verse that says God is the father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. And she knows the God of Psalm 146 verse 9 that says that the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. And she would have known all of Torah law and all the stipulations that deal with how the nation was supposed to care for people that are vulnerable and at risk. In short, she is expecting God to keep his word, and she's desperate for it. For her, it's not theology, it's not theory, it's her life, and it's her two sons 
they're at stake. And Elijah asks a simple question. He says, how can I help you? And she doesn't answer the question. Maybe it uncomfortably hangs in the air for a moment. Have you ever stepped into someone's pain? It's like you want to help and you say, what can I do to help you? But they don't have any answer for you because there's nothing that you can do to help them. So perhaps they sit in the uncomfortable silence. I've been in the room when people have said goodbye to spouses and parents and grandparents for the last time. I've sat quietly and heard sobs and tears and prayers mixed in with the wailing. And I promise you in moments like that, there are no easy answers. Then the prophet asks another question. He is aware of what she has lost and he is aware of what she owes. But then he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? And her first words are hopeless. She says, your servant has nothing at all. Zilch, nada, I'm broke, I'm busted, no hope. And then it's like this light breaks through. It's like a little baby flicker of hope. She says, except. She says, I got nothing except. And I actually brought one. A small jar of olive oil. Now, Elisha has something to work with. However, the rock still needs to meet the bottom. And I believe through his prophet, God is going to tell her a different story. But God is not going to use words. He's not going to use charts. He's not going to use theory. Life has made this woman desperate. And God says, I won't talk you out of this. I'm going to live you out of this. He gives her an experience, not an explanation. Church. Are you ready to see how God shows up for the desperate? So this woman is in trouble with creditors because she's, been, because she's had to borrow. And Elijah says, We're gonna go, we are going to blow past borrowing. He sends her out to straight up beg. It is the ancient equivalent of a GoFundMe page. But check this out. They don't ask for hardly anything of actual value. Have you seen those bands they use at the bank? To put the money in. I know, I know you've seen the rolls, right? That you put the coins in. Or what about the bags that businesses use for the deposit? Basically, he sends them out to go get all of these things, but empty with nothing of value in them. This widow that has absolutely nothing, and the prophet says, I need you to go get more of nothing. Listen to what he tells her. He says, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars, and don't ask for just a few. It's like God saying, in your time of need, in your time of desperation, I need you to go talk to other people that also have emptiness in their life, and bring in all of their emptiness, and all of their lack, and all of their want. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting, and when I want to be comforted, and I want to be filled up, the last thing I want to do is go walk around and find out how many other people are also suffering and have emptiness in their life. But that's the story that God writes. He commands her, go talk to your neighbors. Bring their nothingness into your pain. And then she is told by the prophet, then go inside and shut the door behind you 
and your sons. He tells her first, go reach out and then go reach in. Parents, do you take those precious kids that you prayed for, that God gave you, that sometimes they frustrate you, but you love them more than you love your next breath? Do you ever take them in to your life and into your home and close the door and involve them in their own salvation? Do you ever get desperate before God in front of your children? Every struggle is a chance to tell your kids about a God who saves. Do you do that? Have you taken them in? Have you closed the door? Have you cried out to God? Have your children seen you on your knees? Imagine the formation of faith and of character that's taken place in these two sons that have overcome so much. And what about that emptiness and that feeling? Have you thought about Genesis? God makes the sky, fills it with birds, makes the earth, fills it with plants, animals, and people, makes the seas, fills it with fish. He made Adam from the dust, and then he filled him with his own breath. Elijah tells her, pour oil into all of the jars, and as each one is filled, set it to one side. The widow gets called to participate in what God does. He fills the emptiness. And so she's gathered up all the borrowed jars. She has only one jar herself with a small amount of oil, door shut, sons by her side. Wouldn't you have to be desperate to actually go with such a to actually go through with such a ludicrous plan? Some of it may even seem silly, the begging, the empty jars, and yet she obeys. And she starts pouring. And it's beautiful. I love the imagery here. Because here we have a family that has poured themselves out for the nation. They have prophesied. They have trained in godliness. They have called a disobedient nation back to God. They've stood there. They've been faithful. They have poured themselves out, calling this nation back to God. And now God is pouring out for them. Surrounded by emptiness and in desperation, she pours and God fills. She pours and God fills. She pours and God fills. And soon the emptiness is filled. The jars are sold. The sons are basically brought back from the dead. Part two, our second guest. According to Matthew and Mark, Jesus is in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper which I don't know about you, I've heard some nicknames that are, that are pretty cruel. That one could be the worst. They're at the home of Simon. Jesus cured him. He's, he's not spreading disease. Um, and Matthew and Mark don't name the guest. John chapter 12 does. And the guest that we are going to be talking about is Mary. Now, there are several Marys in the New Testament, but this is the Mary that sat at the feet of Jesus when her sister was banging plates in the kitchen begging for help. This is the Mary whose brother Lazarus died and Jesus brought back from the tomb. And in those final days of Jesus' life on earth, Mary is desperate. She was desperate enough to do something rash. She was desperate enough to do something that was unthinkable. She was desperate to be extravagant in her love of Jesus. And so she also 
gets a jar out. The jar that she would have gotten out would have been imported from India and alabaster and beautiful and worth a year's salary. And quite possibly, it would have been the most valuable thing that she owned. Some people think it could have been a dowry, that it could have represented her future husband and her future family. And in that culture, you need a man to help take care of you. And right now, it's Lazarus, but he's already died once. So how, how sure of a bet is that? And so this could have represented everything for her. At the very least, we know that it is super valuable. And so Jesus had spent quite a bit of time in the home of, Larry, of Lazarus and Martha and of Mary. But tonight, they're not in her home, which means she would have had in her own home to have gone and gotten that alabaster jar from its secure location. And she would have had to have carried it upon her person to Simon's house. And so she brings this jar with her. Can you imagine the buildup and the nerves and the anxiety of waiting for just that right moment to give this gift to God in the flesh? That would have been just absolutely tingling inside of her of when am I going to do this? In December of 2000, I carried around a ring all day. For me, at that time, it was the most extravagant thing I'd ever purchased. It was worth more than anything else I owned. And I remember feeling that box in my pocket. And all day I carried this around and I'm waiting for the right moment. And then at that moment, I got down on one knee and I offered up this gift. And it worked out. She's with me here today. She said yes. But just that anxiety, just that waiting to offer up a beautiful gift. And so Mary offers up this remarkable gift. She pours it on Jesus' body. And then she takes down her hair. And John says that she uses her hair to wipe his feet. This is a sign of humility. Something only a desperate person would do. But what is Mary so desperate for? I believe that she's desperate to show her love for Jesus. That she is desperate to show that she's willing to pour it all out for him. And there's some people there that have the gall to mock her for her extravagant gift. Jesus defends the gift. He says that this story will be told everywhere the gospel is preached. Jesus says she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And this is an idea that I want to leave you with. Mary's gift goes everywhere Jesus' body goes. Jesus is brought before the Jews. Jesus is put on show trials there. He stands before Herod. He stands before Pilate. He's spit upon, he's whipped, he's mocked. Finally, he's crucified. Mary's gift goes through all of that same torment. And on the one hand, her gift was such a waste. Mary offers this gift and the prophet is dead within a few days and then he's buried along with her gift in the tomb, sealed up. 
But it wasn't a waste because Jesus declares it's beautiful. And Jesus is raised from the dead. And if Jesus' body is raised from the dead, then symbolically Mary's gift is raised from the dead. And Mary stands with all the people who love God more than they love their own lives. And we can say that about her because she was desperate to show her love for Jesus. And so today, I want to feel desperate. I want to stand with the widow and say, God, without you, I'm hopeless. My family is lost and I'm alone and I'm doomed to fail. I need you, God. I'm empty. Fill my life. But I also want to stand with Mary. And I want to say to God, God, I've seen you save people. I've seen you do amazing things. And I know that you'll save me from death like you save others. And so right now, God, I want to trust you with everything I have. The widow had a small jar of oil and she was desperate. And God answered her cry. Mary had an extravagant gift and she was desperate to show Jesus her love. And Jesus shows up and defeated death. Today, maybe you're like the widow and you're desperate and you want to be filled. Good news, God hears you. Today, maybe you feel like you are so blessed and you have so much, but you feel like that you're holding on to too much and you're like, God, I just, I just want to give it to you. I trust you with my future and my security and my family. I trust you with all of it. I just, I just want to pour it out because ultimately God's not after our gifts. He's after our hearts and he desires worshipers that are willing to pour their hearts out to him. If you have needs of the church, come as we stand and sing.